Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Last Sunday a remarkable thing happened. Along with 2,000 of my best friends, I rode over Auckland Harbour Bridge on my bicycle. I was surprised at how gentle the gradient was and how pitted the tar seal surfaces. The views are some of the best in Auckland. The really surprising thing, though, is that we were doing it at all. The last time someone rode over the bridge is 12 years ago, also during a protest at the lack of cycling access to the North Shore. 12 years later, we still have nothing on offer except crowded ferries and maybe a very long bike ride around, uh, what would it be, Fenuapai. The situation riled my guests' next guests so much that they decided to act, creating, along with Bike Auckland, the Reclaim the Lane Rally. Reclaim the Lane? Liberate the Lane. Liberate the Lane Rally and protest. I'm joined by Mary Margaret Slack, a comms manager at Bike Auckland, and her dad, David Slack, writer and inveteran, inveterate cycling enthusiast. Thanks for joining me, you guys. Very nice to be here, Vincent. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Mary Margaret, you rode over that in that... V- 2009 event how old were you I was 10 yeah it was actually I think one of the first times that I'd gone for a bike round, ride around the city we went with Chris Darby incidentally I went to school with his daughter Taya we uh-huh. were very good friends Chris Darby being the uh, Auckland City Councillor yes for North Shore yeah yes. um, and I remember it was the first time that I learned how to signal with my hands where we were turning. It was a it was a big day for more than just riding over the Harbour Bridge. Yeah, it was cool. What has happened in those twelve years that has meant that nothing has happened? Yeah, out of that protest eventuated Skypath. A lot of that is thanks to Bevan Woodward. Um, he fought to get Skypath in the Environment Court, and. It was going to be funded on a uh, public-private partnership. I believe that's what the PPP stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, then by 2017, when a new government came in, they instructed Waka Kotahi to close the gap um, and handed Skypath over to them in 2018. And Brett Glidden's team took responsibility and we helped, well, Bike Auckland, I wasn't with Bike Auckland at that time, but Mm -hmm. Bike Auckland helped uh, the team to launch Skypath version 2 in 2019. Um, That project has sunk without trace. Mm. A alliance team of 50 people has been working to resolve technical issues with the Harbour Bridge that we were frustrated were not being um, released to the public. Mm. Uh, and it's still unclear what exactly those issues are and why exactly they're back at the drawing board, but nevertheless they are. And so we're in a position of having to wait years for and another that, crossing. That frustration with the opaqueness of the process as well as the um, just the length of time it's taking, that, that's what boiled up mm. with anger mm. and frustration. What mm. did you do about that frustration? Well, we started calling for a trial this summer. Um, 
like I say, they're back at the drawing board and we, we're, we're supposed to hear in the coming weeks what that plan is. But no matter what that plan is, we're saying act with urgency. You are the regional transport agency, sorry, the national transport agency, uh-huh. and we face a climate emergency. So providing safe infrastructure for sustainable transport must happen now. And if we're back at the drawing board and are going to have to wait, we need existing space to be reallocated. We don't know what that might look like. So we called for a trial so that we have three months to test out what that might look like. We're hoping that that will happen this summer. Yeah. It's worth bearing in mind that just like an iceberg, the protest bit is the bit on the top that's visible. Mm. What's invisible is a very great um, deal more underneath that preceded it, which was all of Bike Auckland doing all of the good faith engagement with Waka, Waka Kotahi and with the Minister and, and all of the relevant authorities and working patiently mm. but but insistently really patiently. Towards, yes, towards this outcome and uh, at a certain point you start to wonder if this is a good faith engagement by Waka Kotahi or whether you're just being given the runaround. Mm. That's really what's going on here. And as Mary Margaret says, the underlying thing about this is climate crisis. You know, this is not just middle class people looking for a nice outing. This is people seeing that the way for us to fix our emission problem is to substantially move from petrol vehicles to something more sustainable, Mm. which is not necessarily even electric vehicles. No, and and it can't be, frankly. It can't be because transport accounts for 40% of Auckland's emissions and car dependency is the root of that. Mm. Electric vehicles are the slowest and most resource-intensive way to decarbonise transport. It is so quick and easy to roll out more bike infrastructure than we already do. And Auckland Council's climate goals um, want us to move to 7% of all trips being made by bike by 2030. Now, 60% of Aucklanders say they would ride a bike if it were safer to do so. And what we're arguing is to make that safer. And the Harbour Bridge plays a key role in that. It's a whole right. network effect. Well, just hold it right there, David Copperfield, because we'll come, <laughs> come back to the rationale for it. But tell me about the day, because if we had – how many people were there at the invitation? at Point Aaron Park? Park. And A couple of thousand. Yeah, so that, that was very cool. And you spoke. You spoke beautifully. Uh, Why, thank you. Uh, you are a speechwriter. <laughs> so I was, I was listening to the speech thinking, well, that's I'm good. also a speechwriter who sometimes forgets that you need to make sure all the pages come unstuck. Uh, so the rhythm wasn't quite right. <laughs> anyway, we were there. It was a gorgeous day. Very fortunate with the weather. Um, Bob Harvey spoke. Bob Cutfield spoke. Uh, we had a couple of politicians speaking, Julian Genter and um, Chloe Schwarbrick. Uh, that was the protest, or at least that was the rally. That was the rally. What happened next? It's not your responsibility, I suppose, you're going to point out. No. Well, well, that's true, and I, and I did explain this in my newsletter too because I do want people to understand this. Um, we had resolved that we wouldn't be encouraging anybody to do that because that's what we uh, – when I say we, I was deputed to be the MC by, by Corkman and I was speaking on in, in their name mm. – and the, the undertaking that Bike Auckland had given to the authorities was that this this wouldn't be done or wouldn't be encouraged or wouldn't um, be um, uh, organised by fo- Bike Auckland. Which follows yeah. our request since December to Walker Kotahi to open the bridge for a public ride, mm. which they had said to us in a letter they, w- they would open to, to restore good faith mm. um, in the delivery of Skypath. Now... We decided that we would hold the rally. That rally was always going to be held at Point Aaron Park. It was independent of the bridge. We then sent a letter explaining that we were holding this rally and explaining that if they were open to holding a public ride day over the Harbour Bridge, May 30th would be a very good day to have done.
done that. Mm. They did. They declined our request, and the police, therefore, we worked with them to 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 make sure that our messaging was clear. We were not ho- hosting a ride over the Harbour Bridge. Mm-hmm. At the end of the rally, that was it. We said thank you for coming. You did, uh, and mm. I was uh, slightly surprised because I, I must admit I th- I thought that we were going to go for a ride over the bridge, and then it was pointed out that you know it was not sanctioned. It was, uh, and the organisers were were very clear about that. So uh, we rode out full of enthusiasm for uh, biking and cycling infrastructure, then turned right to head down Curran Street, uh, expecting to, to find that we were being directed under the bridge. And sure enough, there was a barrier there. But it didn't take long um, for the frustration to build up and, and the gates opened. And I think that there was – look, there might have been a tiny bit of pushing and shoving, but it was very mild, very mild indeed. And it did make me think, as I was racing up the ramp – uh, and noticing that the lanes were blocked, that actually they expected and planned for the lanes to be blocked. Now, is that correct? Well, and furthermore, Waka had announced that the lane was going to be closed from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Now, I'm not sure well, if that was... Well, I think was... that was technically Auckland Transport, which oh, is I'm why sorry. it gets oh, a little yeah, bit sorry. confusing. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, that we were confused because AT had had announced that the day before. Right. Walker Kotahi announced lane closures on Monday, the day following the rally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because it was announced as being uh, from twelve o'clock, I I did wonder if maybe they were playing some kind of mind game. Because given that the the rally was happening at ten o'clock, uh, there might have been some sort of. You wondered were they thinking? Well, people will be milling around for an hour. That um, that will be too long for them to wait. So nothing will happen. But They've been waiting fact, for twelve years already. <laughs> yeah. But the fact was that there was a pretty clear signal that something might be permitted. That it was going to be closed for three hours. So I think there was that expectation in there as well. As the wave turned right and went down, and as you say, there wasn't a lot of resistance there. I was still at Point Erin talking to straggling um, uh, uh, spectators, and but I, I could see on Curran Street the the wave growing larger and larger yes. and then I saw it begin to move and I realised that they must have got through. Yes. So I only know from the footage that I've seen on TV how that then transpired. I think you had a better view than I did by the sound oh, of it. was about 20, 20 people back and yeah, there was a, a little bit of shoving but as the gates opened, uh, it, it, everyone said thank you to the police right. uh, including toddlers, people hmm. in wheelchairs, people walking um, you know, not it, it, this was not a uh, a springbok moment yeah, right. uh, with crash yeah. helmets. I mean, we had crash helmets, but you know, because we were on bikes. Yeah. <laughs> but a uh, very mild mannered, you know, the most mild mannered protest I've ever been involved in. Um, in any case, um, the outcome uh, was we we had a great experience. We saw part of Auckland that you typically don't see. But what has been the reaction? For you two, and and what has been the reaction from uh, organisations and and from the media? Maybe let's start with what what have you experienced, David? Two, two waves of reaction because I did in, in, in due course make my way that way down there. Um, by which time they'd put the barrier up and there were police all standing all the way across. Yes, and it was clear that no no more of us would be passing. Uh, so I but I was happy enough to wait. One, because I'm not allowed to ride post-surgically at the moment, and secondly, because I'd already ridden in the uh, the rally 12 years ago, so I kind of, you know, had You'd done that. Done it. Um, so I sat there and waited to watch people come back in, and the joy 
on people's faces and the surprise was really striking you know anybody who was doing it for the first time was really quite startled to discover just how gentle the gradient is mm. and how beautiful it is mm. and what a great way it is to travel across the bridge because this is something that also gets lost um in people's experience of a car at that speed it's nothing special really mm. Mm. bridge but if you're riding it at a slower pace and talking to people it's a joy mm. and and this is the thing about cycling in general it's a really bloody good way to get around yes and, and, and on top of up there yeah. uh, Stunning. And on top of that, um, maybe we'll come back to this in more detail, but e-bikes are changing this in a huge way as well Mm. because they are hill hill killer and that means that people can be riding all over the city and that becomes really significant. So being able to cross here becomes really important. But that was the first reaction. And and you included, Vincent, as you came – the look on your face Uh, as you came off. You were delighted. I was delighted. And I completely endorse what you're saying about the experience of riding. I'm not a – I wouldn't describe myself as a cyclist, Mm. but – uh, I, I'm Dutch, so I hate spending money for the, in the first instance. <laughs> so I hate parking and petrol and license fees and so on. So that's pleasing. But actually, the transformative uh, experience of riding a bike around a city in a safe cycle lane is um, absolutely uh, amazing, mm-hmm. and yeah. and it's it's embarrassingly joyful. You know, it's it's boyish yeah. in, a, yeah. in your reaction to Always things. Got a smile yes. on my face yeah. when I'm on my bike. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, so that, that was, was the first wave. Yes. The second wave, of course, was <laughs> unbridled antipathy <laughs> and 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 um, talk radio hosts who um, I suspect were um, seeing the the outrage that can be fomented and uh, exploited to fill up the boards. I've been a talk host. I know how this crap works, and and this kind of uh, um, uh, false outrage can really gin the whole thing up and I, I got a sense that that was happening in the following day so the, the expressions like how how entitled uh, this is this behavior and I'm thinking well okay let's let's consider what's entitled in the larger scheme of things here we have a climate crisis where we're, we're we are imperiling the entire ecosystem of the planet and people continue to write to drive their double cab utes as long as 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 if that has no consequence and is of no matter that's what I call entitled so there's that um, there, there's also, you know, some sort of spurious objections to uh, aspects of civil protest. Um, we know that quiet protest is what has sometimes been required mm. to achieve change for the better. Mm. That's what's going on there. Mm. I'm hogging the mic here. Well, Mike, Mary, I, I think that the other side of the coin is that I've seen what I think is um, actually reasonable reaction to police treatment that is much kinder than, say, Ihumatao or treatment of people in South Auckland. That is absolutely correct and it's absolutely true that everyone who was at the protest on Saturday should be showing up for any other protest about Māori rights and Māori mis- police mistreatment of Māori. The thing is um, the the rally itself was not being covered in the media and the media focus became breaking the police barricade and storming the bridge. And I think what 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 needs to be made clear here is that 
this wasn't about want people just wanting simple access to the bridge. This is about frustration with an organisation who is committed to providing safe infrastructure under the climate crisis and is failing to do so. Mm. That is still a worthy cause to protest and mm. to ha- hold a rally for. Mm. So I think these things can coexist. Mm. I think it's been in- interesting to see the reaction that you, you, you both talk about to uh, finding objections that seem uh, – they remind me a little bit of the Muppets. You know, do you remember the two old Muppets that yes. sit up in the um, in the booth um, in the My box? Old mate Finley McDonald often says when we're begging people that we, we are those two people. I forget <laughs> the name of the character, but in any case, it doesn't matter what's being performed on the stage; They'll, it'll be rubbish. And, yeah. um, and that's just about fear of change, right? That is mm. that is a uh, adopting a stance that uh, fits comfortably with. Um, uh, just a fear of change, and and so let, let's talk about the change then that's required. C- can you explain why? Let's do the rational first. Why would opening the bridge to cycling and walking, uh, micro mobility? I'm, mm. I'm thinking scooters. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeez, yes. I saw people in push in push chairs and wheelchairs for goodness' mm-hmm. sake, which is how how gentle it. Yeah, oh, that's right. Like Toddlers on bikes. Yeah, we're wheeling. No yeah. trouble. Yeah, it's a right. lane for everybody. This is the thing is right now our bridge, we say you have to have a car to pass this. Car dependency hurts everyone. This is about an equitable transport system and providing accessibility to a vaster range of Aucklanders. Now, there's already banks of traffic trying to get over the bridge at at gridlock time, Mm. at at peak hour. Shouldn't necessarily be gridlock time, but at peak hour. Removing one, possibly two lanes for cycling and walking is going to make that worse. There's a landmark study was done about oh, two decades ago now, but it remains the sort of gold standard because it was so ex- expansive and so detailed. And it has no one has yet produced a study that contradicts it um, by Sally Kens and yeah. a couple of others. Etel. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, and and it, what it presents is something that sounds a little like voodoo. I use that line in the the, the rally because it, 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 it you think how can this be? But it's the truth. When you make a, 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 a lasting reallocation of um, uh, roads and um, uh, uh, networks, when you reallocate a lane to some other mode, that is to say, if you take away a lane from cars and you give it to a bus or bikes or people on foot or you know any, any other alternative mode, what people do is not just stay in their car and clog the other lanes, they start changing their behaviour hmm. substantially. And the, and this has been seen in, in um, project after project, and then this is what the, the study um, tabulated. The, the headlines would often say the cars have disappeared. And, of course, what, it, what that really means is people have said, OK, I've got a new arrangement here. I'm going to ask myself for the first time, could I actually be doing this differently? Mm-hmm. Because often if you sit in a lane um, on your commute at the end of the day with everybody stop starting and look at them all and say, you're doing this every day, do you really want to do this to yourself? The concept is induced demand and the fact is there are some people who are going to well, let's always... Let's just call it what it is, shall yeah. we? Okay. And I mean, there are people who are always going to need to drive a car. That's okay. Some people do, but a lot of people do not need to. Mm. And single occupancy vehicles... It's not the most efficient way to occupy the city. It doesn't. It do, think car parks, for example. That's a that's a private use of space that takes up way more than it needs to. And if you don't need to drive your car and you can opt for another option, you should. Mm-hmm. So 
what you're both saying, I think, is that when you liberate a lane, you not only provide an alternative for those uh, people, but actually you incentivize That's right. a, yeah. a greater transition, which ha- has a sort of a, potentially a network effect, right? It, it, yeah. it, it takes one car off the road, but it actually might reward uh, or incentivize taking two, three, four cars off the road. Yeah. That's true. And this feeds now into um, something else um, that we were talking about at the rally, and that is that you've got just about all of Auckland now is joined up with lanes or cycleways that are absolutely free of, you know, that absolutely separated from roads. So it's good for the right, it's nice for the riders, it's nice for the car drivers. And once those are fully connected, it, it is almost, it, it is inevitable that many more people are going to start filling those up because exactly. they, they get a try on it and they say, this is amazing. I'm, I feel I'm, safe. I'm unmolested by vehicles here. I feel safe. Yeah. And this is, like Mary Margaret said before, the, a majority of people have said, I would ride more if I felt safe. Safe. So you've got all that. You've got all of those, those uh, lanes just about joined up. You need the Harbour Bridge to join them up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only bit, but it's the crucial bit. Mm-hmm. And once that's joined and once people are able to do that, they will, my prediction is, you will see very fast gathering volumes of people as they their friends tell them about it and they come and join and they get into mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and um, there um, you know this from all of your marketing experience but that I know you know they, they've got the early adopters and then you've got those those other phases the past and we're, we're in, yes. that's right we're, we're yeah. in we're we're in one of those transition phases right now and it's it's about to look appealing to a great many people actually I should throw this in too because this has a bearing on it. Some people were sneering at the the, the profile of the um, of the group and saying it's it's uh, prosperous people with e bikes. And there's a crucial point to be made about e bikes. It's a little bit like cell phones were in the in the at, at the outset. It was expensive, and only. Um, Wealthy people had them. Who the hell doesn't have a cell phone now? This is the way that that, that whole market moves, and, and it's how this one is going to move. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. And what people will be, what people are discovering with e-bikes, and many more will be doing, is finding for two or three or, or five or ten thousand dollars, you can be, get an e-bike, and it becomes your car. You mm. actually use it like your car. Now, you might say that's a lot for a bike, but it's bloody not a lot for a car. Plus, which you pay two grand for that. You don't have to then pay your mechanics bills, your rego, your your petrol each week, and you can get it on a uh, kind finance plan. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'll tell you something else you can do is you can go to the pub. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, as but a true joy. Adding yeah, yeah. to that, we are in a position right now where e-bikes are a hard thing to access, and the, I think that the government should subsidise them. I think that the government should incentivise accessibility to e-bikes over and above anything else. Uh-huh. It, everybody should have access to a bike, and everybody should have access to be able to safely ride a bike. Uh-huh. And if you're unable to ride a bike, you should have access to choose your mode of transport. But now, this it, is all. This is one puzzle. This is one piece of the puzzle in in a massive overhaul that is needed of the whole transport system because the way it operates right now just doesn't work for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. In this conversation, we've had a lot of shoulds. We should do this. We should do that. Um, David, you've suggested that it's it's a little bit like the cell phone market and you've talked about early adopters. Um, There's a great theoretical paper that you've quoted. Uh, I'm now um, grumpy Muppet in Mm -hmm. the stalls. Uh, where's the evidence that this investment in cycle infrastructure is going to work? Can you give me an overseas example that's Amsterdam. done it before us? 
They were not always a cycling city. I'm sure you know. They, it was a car-dependent city until the 1970s. Now, they do have a mild hill structure that makes it a little bit easier for them. Mild hill is more than a euphemism. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. But it doesn't change the fact that there was a time where it was all cars. It was all um, traffic congestion. Yeah. It was all people saying, don't build another cycleway because it's going to make traffic worse for me. As if it's not one person in their car taking mm. building traffic because mm. it's all one person in their mm. car. Mm. Um, and a campaign started that was based on stop the child murder because uh, traffic death increased as as soon as the, the volume ended. Yeah, mm. and so that 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 landed, and now here they are. And some people think that they've always been a cycling city. It's not the case, and we can do it too. Mm. Same with Copenhagen, and and the um, and over that same kind of trajectory, it was the uh, post-war. Suddenly, cars became affordable, so everybody got into cars, and then government policy became enable cars. And so, in Copenhagen, in the uh, by the end of the sixties, they had the same kind of proportion of users. That we have today, that's all changed. You know, the major use in in, in that city for getting about for um, trips of less than six or ten mm. k is is a bike, and they do it in snow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Well, in Paris and and uh, during the, the the COVID lockdowns, rolled out heaps of cycleway. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but mm. heaps. Sixty percent of the users of those cycleways are new to cycling altogether. The old tired expression is "build it and they will come," and mm. it's it, it can't be mm. said clearer than that. Mm. The other thing that's worth pointing out about Holland, and you kind of mentioned it with snow, is it's it's not like they lack wind or rain. Not true in that yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. that um, one of the objections, obviously, to Cycling is that it's you get wet, yeah, well, yeah. you know it's it's difficult. But as you say with e-bikes, it flattens the whole. You know we're virtually living in the Netherlands no, yeah. uh, with an e-bike. Okay, so also um, I have leggings in my pannier for <laughs> if I get caught with our sudden squalls, and yeah. you know that's all you need and a jacket. Um, all right. Well, we've dealt with the rational objections. Uh, well, there's probably some more. It's not. Um, we need to build barriers on the bridge. There's an objection. So we can <laughs> give it a go in the trial. Yeah. Okay. Just like Grafton Gully, just like the, the bridge on Karangahape Road, it's very easy to build a barrier shield to protect people. And, and compared to the cost of building, you know, a K of actual road, which we uh, um, allocate billions to each mm-hmm. year, you know, the cost of cycleway infrastructure is, is chump change comparatively This year speaking. we are building five kilometres of cycleways in Auckland. Five. Five. Yeah. Not 500. Yeah. Not 105. Five. Not even 55. The other thing is, I think, so we're, we are requesting one lane of, um, one lane to be liberated. There will be a traffic barrier. It won't just be a green lane on the bridge. It would, we're proposing something that would take care of safety a lot better than the narrative seems to posit. I think the rational arguments you've, you've dealt with, um, but let's talk about the psychology of, Car ownership, car driving. There is a, we've seen it in Onihanga with the um, mm. experiments with uh, closing off streets to create safe zones. The the reaction to uh, councillor uh, or at least the, the local board member Peter McLashan has been a, at a level of irrationality and anger that is disproportionate with the mm. inconvenience. Mm. Yeah. And in you, uh, we all experience it as cyclists. You've experienced it as a as, as protesters. This level of emotional reaction to cycling, to change from the motor car. Do, have you 
got any insight into where that uh, reaction comes from? One thought I have is that we have enabled in these last few years um, a lot more hostility and aggravation uh, through a combination of social media, Murdoch media, and um, polarization, and the the algorithm that en- encourages on Facebook um, uh, polarization, you know, all of those things make people feel more entitled to mm. condemn mm. somebody if they don't like them. That doesn't quite that answer the question of why they feel the antipathy, though. You know, you 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 see some of the objections that have been raised this week about why they believe there should not have been a, um, a an assault on the bridge or why there should not be a lane. And it kind of looks like a rational uh, response, but actually it feels and sounds a lot more like, I really hate it, I'll think of a reason later. Mm. You know, there's a kind of a, um, I don't know, it, 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 and, I, and I'm just speculating here, but it just does feel like, there is a resistance to change, and the more change begins to happen, the more people feel that they want to hang on to what's not yet changed. And maybe it's something to do with that. It's also maybe, I don't know, the psychology The psychology of the car mm. is not a small thing mm. to go once more around to the, to the, to the marketing well. Research you know. from the University of Auckland this year yeah. found that people who ride their bike to work are much happier. There is a, there is a mental health correlation, yeah, so that yeah, absolutely yeah. plays a role. But I think also there's a – I'm sympathetic in the, sen- in the sense that none of us want to be told, this is your fault. You are the reason for the climate crisis. No single person is. It's that we designed a system that is incompatible with the ecosystem that we inhabit. Mm. Um, And I think to ride a bike has become a symbol that some people take to mean you think you're better than I am. Mm, mm. But and you know, just a little while ago, I was saying if you if you don't have to ride drive a car, you shouldn't. It's it's a tricky business putting personal responsibility on someone like that. And I think there is a a natural reaction to say, whoa, don't point the finger at me. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to build a transport system that works better for everyone. I feel like a broken record, but this is this is a movement for the people. It is. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. I, I, well, I think you're both right about the context that that the social media world and the Murdoch world and the kind of talk rot world have created that allows people to uh, verbalise the the, uh, the anger that's in their head or or you know without speak without filters. Mm. But I reckon there is a deep psychology with the car i'd love to know more about that we, yeah. we could talk about that sometime but about uh, it's it's what it's the same psychological box that allows you to have road rage and mm-hmm. um, just as a quick aside we we had a, a convertible car for a little while and experienced far less road rage i think because people could see us <laughs> they could see our faces right and um, you know at, at one level perhaps they were um horribly jealous and well, maybe they had good reason to get angry with us but I, I think that distance that's provided through through the, the box of the car pr- mm. allows people to which is a microcosm of that that semi-anonymity of social media that also seems to enable yes. that, that hostility yes anyway here we are uh, expert psychologists <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen next what would you like to see happen with Wakatahi uh, with Auckland Transport in particular, the trial. Yeah, we just want we we just want Wakukatahi to work with us in good faith and court it all about what this trial could be, why 
They are scared of um, standing up against car dependency. They are in a position to lead. If this is a climate emergency, they can and should lead. Um, and we have worked with them for for years to build to build the cycle network. And this is part of that puzzle. So we 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 want to restore that relationship and 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 just give the trial a go, see what's possible. Like mm. we were all talking about at the start, people were beaming on the weekend up there. It's so much fun. Let's just try over summer and see what happens. Try it. You might like it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> David Slack, uh, Mary Margaret Slack, thanks for joining us. And, thanks for having um, us. A- and thanks for all your mahi around this. Uh, let's hope it leads to actual change. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.